Stat Media Group, delivering logistics news since 1986. This is Cargo Masterminds from Stat Media Group. It's Monday and it's time to catch up with our new Cargo Mastermind. Hello and welcome to Cargo Masterminds. My name is Reggie John. You have heard about Wright Brothers, the two American aviation pioneers credited with inventing, building, and flying the world's first successful motor-operated airplane. What about Rangelo Brothers, Swillen and Constantine from Sofia in Bulgaria? One studied economics, the other aerospace engineering. And in 2014, they founded Dronamics with a mission to leverage advances in autonomy, aeronautics, and composite materials in order to democratize air freight and accelerate e-commerce in emerging markets. The unmanned cargo aircraft, Black Swan, can transport 350 kilograms at a distance of up to 2,500 kilometers and will radically change the economics, speed, and coverage of same-day delivery. The fixed-wing aircraft, which uses a gasoline engine and a single NOS-mounted propeller, can be monitored by satellite, fly into and out of small unpaved airstrips, and could operate at a cost at least 50% lower than conventional human-piloted cargo aircraft. And in the midst of a global pandemic, the Rangelaw brothers accelerated the pace of making their dream a reality. They have announced key partnership with multinational third-party logistic companies and airports in Europe ahead of the imminent commercial launch of Black Swan as early as next year. Joining me to discuss the hectic pace of development at Dronamics is Swillen Rangelov, co-founder and CEO of Dronamics. Swillen, welcome to Cargo Masterminds. Thanks for having me, Reggie. Swillen, let's... Uh, for the benefit of the people watching the video and listening to our conversation, briefly explain what Black Swan, the unmanned aircraft vehicles designed and developed by Dronamics. Uh, I know I, I gave them a little brief, but uh, it's good to hear from the, from the founder and the CEO of the company. And this is not the kind of drones that a lot of us have uh, seen and looks more like an aircraft that requires a runway to take off and land and not at all a vertical takeoff and uh, landing uh, drone that all of us have seen. Yeah, absolutely. It's precisely like what you said in the introduction. It's a fixed, it's a fixed wing aircraft with a, uh, with a puller propeller, uh, a Rotax engine, and we designed it to be extremely uh, fuel efficient. And I'm not sure if you can see the background, but that's uh, essentially what it looks like. It does not take off vertically. It needs a runway, but the runway is quite short that it can be unpaved. So as little as 400 meters. And you can find runways like that all over the world, even in the tiniest villages. So that's precisely the concept. We are strictly middle mile. Um, it's a middle mile vehicle. We wanted to build essentially the flying version of that ground delivery vehicle. Bring us up to speed with what is happening in Dronamics in terms of partnership they signed with a number of airports in the Europe and planning to sign up with also airports in other uh, parts of the world. Uh, you have like two very significant partnerships signed in the last uh, a month, uh, which is one is a DHL and the other one is Hellman Logistics. Uh, 
uh, bring us up to speed with what is happening in terms of uh, getting the aircraft uh, takeoff uh, sometime next year. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been quite hectic. It's um, we are uh, we started the company seven years ago. So um, and and even though the airplane looks quite conventional, it actually it's not. It's um, the, there's been innovation in almost all aspects uh, in it that we had to go through. And earlier this year, the the, the drone rules in Europe finally changed in order to accommodate our, our aircraft like ours and to make it uh, allowed. So um, we really uh, stepped on the gas pedal and um, are, are investing heavily in commercialization and establishing those first partnerships. So to your point, we uh, signed up already, I believe, 39 airports in Europe, um, another 20 or so outside of Europe. Um, we signed up DHL, Hellman, there's several others uh, in the pipeline that we have. And um, yeah, we're we're gearing up to have first commercial flights early next year. Do you have any timeline as to uh, next uh, summer season or next uh, peak holiday season, Q4 of 2022? Uh, way, way before that, uh, yeah, so, so summer and possibly even before summer. There's, we're finalizing the, the licensing, the, you know, the, under the new drone rules, we're actually, uh, we actually have a much shorter certification path than electric uh, powered vehicles. And uh, because there's a lot less uh, risk technologically and operationally as well. So it depends on our development timeline, but also on the regulators, but both of these will converge towards the end of this year. And then early next year, we should be able to start those first commercial flights. How important was uh, getting DHL, uh, one of the very innovative logistic, third-party logistic companies in the world, and then before that, uh, Hellman to come on board. Uh, how significant was that for you to get the launch of this uh, project as quickly as next next year? Well, it is, uh, it's quite significant. Um, it's great validation for us. There's other companies that are uh, just as interested. Um, we're it's just that our resources as a small startup uh, are uh, limited and we can only work on so many uh, projects at the same time. So we'll be announcing a few of these others um, uh, immediately. And we've been quite uh, happy and lucky to be supported by uh, companies like that because uh, it's really nice when you see two of the top 10 forwarders for F8 in the world, um, you know, place a bet on you. Um, and yeah, uh, we're, uh, we're looking forward to delivering on that. I remember uh, DHL in, the, in their uh, trend radar actually had uh, uh, Dronamics being featured. Uh, when did you actually begin talking to them and how serious was this uh, partnership talk in the last few months or last few years? I don't know. When did you start? Look, it's a, it's a small industry and it, uh, it relies heavily on relationships, and, but relationships also take time. So uh, it's been, I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you the exact date. It's, it's been it's been a while, but it's also like that for every other partner, right? So they they meet you, they they hear your plans, uh, and it's all great. But they also want to see validation, and it's I think uh, what what gets a partner like that over the line is once they see that you execute and you um, you deliver on your plans, and then you're going in the right direction. So that's it's a, it's a it's a relationship, and we. Uh, we enjoy and we cherish that a lot. And that's what we're trying to develop with all the other partners that we are yet to announce. Look, our mission is to democratize air freight, right? To, to make it 
to make same day delivery available to everyone everywhere for price they can all afford. Um, it's a very ambitious goal and we're going to need all the help we can get. So it's, uh, we're, we're very open to, to partnerships like that. And uh, we know we cannot do this ourselves. And we're going to need to rely on these relationships that we are building. Explain to us the, the business and operating model that you have planned with third-party logistic companies. I, I hope that you, there would be like very specific models that you've worked around for Hellman and for DHL and the potential other logistic companies. Tell us how, how, what is the kind of operational and business arrangement with, uh, with these companies, with these partners? Hellman is a, is a pure freight forwarder, right? So when it, we, and we are a middle mile uh, operator. So the, the, the same way that um, a company like theirs would be booking cargo on a regular manned cargo airline uh, with block space agreements, uh, chartering, or uh, what have you. Uh, that's same concept will apply to us. So we uh, we do not sell the airplanes. Uh, we sell capacity on routes, and those routes we work with the partners to tell us where they want us to fly, um, and then on the back end we figure it out how to make. Uh, those flights happen in those routes. So we go and look at uh, what are the nearest airports that we can um, that we can take off and land from. We talk to the airports. We uh, look at schedules um, and so on. So we try to make it as easy as possible for the customer for them to book just like they would on a, another airline, and then uh, work on the back end to to deliver on that. Now the difference between Hellman and DHL, of course, is that um, DHL has its own last mile fleet uh, worldwide. So it, um, in terms of uh, customer experience uh, for the two of them, it will be, in, on, on one hand, it will be owned uh, vehicles, owned ground vehicles that will come to the drone port to pick up the, the packages once we, uh, we bring them there. Uh, in the other, on the other hand, Helma will be looking with their local partners for the last mile. Uh, distribution. Okay, let me understand. Uh, you're going to own the all the assets, and you are going to sell the capacity. So, if That's that right. is the case, uh, by next year, like you already have uh, to already signed up, and you potentially will sign up a few more by end of next year. And if uh, if your commercial launch happens as planned, end of by end of next year, how many black swans would you have in the, in your fleet? We plan to have as many as sixty. Six zero. We'll, we'll see. Uh, we're, we're working with a manufacturing partner to figure out the, uh, the exact timeline on that as we in, in, in ramping up that capacity. But we feel fairly confident we can uh, deploy operationally um, as many as 60 by the end of the year. And where do you intend to manufacture these? And would that be also uh, decentralized in terms of uh, you will have uh, manufacturing partners in different different parts of the world? Yes, that's uh, manufacturing partners in for each region of the world is uh, the sort of the main scenario that we're exploring. We believe that as unlike big airplanes where you have very few numbers, so you know no, no company in the world produces more than a thousand or maybe more than seven hundred aircraft uh, per year. Uh, whereas uh, you know just for a company like DHL, we estimate we we'll need four thousand and you know, what could even say that this may be conservative. You open the door to actually rethinking of how, how, how can you make uh, those airspace parts in a very efficient way, but also in a distributed way. And so, yes, our primary, uh, our primary target is to have uh, several facilities around the world 
So let's say the drones for the Indian market will be built in India, um, drones for the European market will be built in Europe, uh, and so on and so forth. As of now, where do you have the manufacturing facility? Who's your manufacturing partner? Right now, we're still doing the manufacturing ourselves in the process of designing and building the prototype. We actually have uh, produced all the molds, all the tooling, so, so that we can then use those to, to start the first uh, you know, limited series of uh, production while we uh, identify and, and activate that manufacturing part. So currently, um, we have a short list of companies um, but it's still a process that we're going through to identify the, the first one. You know, Swilin, uh, right now you have a very serious uh, uh, imbalance between the supply and demand as far as the freight industry is concerned across. If you look at sea freight, um, air freight, it is the same and people want to order plane today and get it delivered yesterday. But then there's no, there are no aircraft. And even if it's to be a converted aircraft, you still need about three to four months. And But then there is a long queue outside the conversion companies. Uh, how much time does it take for you to have, uh, once everything is uh, is planned and settled, how much time does it take to produce one of one black swan? One day, two days, one week? Uh, we're looking at doing five a week at scale, right? So yeah, that would be, that. that's the plan we're exploring right now. What would be the cost of one uh, uh, producing one of these, uh, these aircraft? Uh, I, I can't really talk about that. <laughs> okay. This would be up for uh, first in the manufacturer to um, to agree on, but yeah, the the, po the point is to keep the cost as low as possible and to uh, to play on volume because ultimately that's been one of the curses in aviation is the, the more complex and the, the bigger the system, the less the lo the less numbers of these systems you build, then the complexity requires such a huge investment that um, naturally the unit cost just grows exponentially and it. It puts it prices out aviation air cargo out of you know so many markets, um, and this is the main reason why uh, air cargo serves less than one percent of uh, global trade, but it's the thirty-seven percent of value. Um, so it's really a, a mode of last resort, and if you create a, a model where you're mass-producing vehicles because they're smaller and because they can reach smaller destinations directly. Um, and shorten dramatically the last mile, you actually introduce a lot of efficiencies and then unit costs and all that can go dramatically uh, down and you can pass those savings on to the customers. Swilin, what is the reason why you want to keep the asset because you are not, uh, you're basically selling the capacity, assets are on your book. Uh, what is the reason for that? And would you potentially look at uh, um, lessers later on that somebody else actually will buy these assets, but and then they can actually lease it to or sell the capacity to, to freight forwarders, shippers, or any other operators? Well, that's a great question. And if you think about the early days of, uh, of aviation, uh, it was not uncommon for aircraft developers to also be um, to, to also be the operator. So, you, you know, the Boeing for for a period of time used to carry uh, used to used to fly for the U.S. Postal Service, and it, it took. Uh, antitrust regulations in order for, for them to get broken up into Boeing and United Airlines. So uh, same same way applies here when you have, when you're in the early days of this new unmanned technology, um, it pays to be uh, close to the uh, to the operations so that you can uh, learn 
uh, operationally daily and, and, and integrate this into product improvements. In essence, we are open to um, lessers and a relationship with a lesser, but in the early days, we, we plan to own and control the fleet ourselves. Swillen, you said that uh, that's your uh, very conservative estimate by end of uh, next year as of the, the partnership arrangement that you have uh, announced so far and potentially announcing in the next few months, you would have about uh, 60 aircraft uh, by end of next year. Um, and if you had to be really optimistic and really need to, to really scale up your production and to meet the, the demand, given the condition that air freight uh, is very constrained as of now and continue to remain constrained uh, next year, how confident are you that you can really scale up the production uh, with uh, partners in manufacturing at different places? We're very confident. Uh, there's uh, actually been uh, a lot of excess capacity on the marketing when it comes to manufacturing capabilities. So we're not really worried about the manufacturing side of things. Let me let me come to your partnership with your with signing up with the different airports because yours, uh, your aircraft still needs uh, an airport infrastructure, at least uh, some unpaved uh, runway of 400 uh, meters. Uh, what kind of handling is handling support do you require at the airport? And who is, who is that going to provide? And uh, what kind of uh, fees are required to be paid at the airport? Will it be the very similar as, uh, as uh, any other airline? These are great questions. We are like another airline, so we will pay the rent, landing fees and all that. But, but, but cargo handling, we do ourselves. And uh, the, the reason is, again, because these are the early days, uh, we would need to, to, to keep that learning very quick so that we can make adjustments uh, as we go. And then once, uh, once this whole thing matures, uh, then we can think about potentially outsourcing that to a cargo handling partner. What are the, the potential chances of uh, maybe a warehouse which has got a 400 meter uh, airstrip on an open space? Uh, could that be a place where you can take off and land? Do you really need an airport? Absolutely, it could, yeah. We do not need an airport. We're starting with airports because these are... Um, Areas that are already integrated into sort of the airspace and operations, but um, phase two would be doing off airport locations like uh, warehouses, seaports would be another exciting type of location. Yeah, logistics centers, farms, there's a wide variety of spaces around the world. But even if you stick to just airfields, there's more than 50,000 or 55,000 airfields around the world. So there's plenty of touch points uh, to, to serve, even if you stick to only that. So I want a bit curious to understand uh, how do you load cargo into it? Is there a palletization of the cargo? Is there boxes that you can just uh, fill into the aircraft and it takes off? What what are some of those uh, uh, details? It's uh, it's loose cargo, so just boxes. It's not palletized. Uh, it's loaded by hand. We opted for the, the simplest possible way. Uh, initially, we wanted to make again the biggest benefit. Uh, beneficiaries of our system would be underserved communities. And the, the great majority of those are smaller communities um, where you may have uh, very little traffic um, and where, you know, 350 kilos may be sufficient to serve. So we wanted to make something that is essentially village friendly. Um, and that's why we're not opting out for any fancy like automated loading systems or pods or any of that because it's just not our market. This would be great for some other markets, but not for not for ours. 
your aircraft is still an unmanned aircraft uh, uh, when it comes to the the cargo air in the aviation side uh, the utilization the asset is the maximum of uh, 16 17 18 hours for example then you have a mandatory uh, rest period and maintenance and check period for the aircraft uh, can your aircraft fly 24 7 like a, like every other aircraft it needs to have you know uh, different levels of maintenance checks after a certain amount of hours of operation but you know as, as in our case the pilots are on the ground at those drone ports uh, because we do have human pilots they're just not in the vehicle and uh, this makes it a lot easier to you know have the pilot's shift end before that flight's journey has ended. In that sense, yes, it is a, a true 24-7 capability that you can provide. Going by the current numbers, 60 aircraft by the end of next year, almost 39 air, uh, airports that you have signed up, maybe that you fly each of these aircraft 20 hours a day. Yeah. You need a lot of uh, human resource also in terms of ad, ad, handling these aircraft at the, at the, at the airports. Uh, what kind of um, the buildup are you looking at by the end of next year? What is the number of people that would be working for you? We will not be launching in 39 airports uh, on day one, so there will be a ramp up. Uh, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but we're looking at uh, several hundred. We need each airport, we need uh, a team of five to start, and then this may grow depending on the number of flights that are being served uh, and you know, the times of day that uh, those movements are happening. So you are right in the beginning, um, it is uh, very human heavy, but I would say that um, this would be true for any type of unmanned operation because as much as everyone wants it, you know, true autonomy is very far from being certified. So you always need to have a substantial amount of humans involved in the operation. Yeah, that's, uh, the, 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 true, um, the true benefits come at scale. The good thing about our platform is because of that, we really worked hard to make sure the aircraft is both cheaper to own, but also cheaper to operate um, than other aircraft so that we could absorb that additional you know, fixed cost in the, in the early days and we can hit break even a lot quicker. What is your current strength? How many people work uh, across two offices, I believe? Yeah, so we are now partly a distributed team, but the bulk of the, the team is in Bulgaria. So we are now, I believe, more than 70 people. I can't tell you the exact number because uh, I've been focused on fundraising lately, but it, for reference, this time last year, we were less than 25. So we're growing fast. Um, we'll, we'll probably at least double within the next six to nine months if it is uh, one of your aircraft fully loaded uh, once it uh, lands you need to unload and uh, it spills the cargo and takes off what is the turnaround time i'm, I'm not sure i can say yet but uh, yeah we, we have yet to test but it will be i mean yeah it should be very very quick it also depends on the number of people so if it's five people like we plan to have in europe first um it, it, it should be you know we should be able to do multiple turnarounds in an hour. Um, but if it is, you know, flying to a village and it's one flight per day, it probably doesn't make sense to have five mm -hmm. people. It could be just one or two that uh, can manage the whole process and it will probably take them a longer time. 
Tell us about the operational cost of a black swan. How much does it cost to operate a fully loaded black swan at its maximum range? That's a great question, but I'll probably not be able to talk about that at this moment. I'm sure that yeah. you, you you must be doing all this kind of calculations right now as you as you sign up partners like DHL and Helmet. Yeah, no, we are, but uh, it is also the price also depends on on the market. What what are the alternatives? How much do they cost? And you know, pr prices can, can can vary a lot uh, on the routes. But for guidance, okay, let me say that um, you know we can definitely do um, a kilogram in Europe for a couple of euros, right? And this could still make sense for us. And it may sound high compared to belly freight, but for example, in a market like Europe, uh, the intra-European connectivity is not great. You know, you always need to go through hubs and there's not that many direct flights. Most of the uh, the, the the traffic, the, the air traffic in uh, Europe is low-cost carriers and, you know, all the major ones don't do any cargo. They don't. They don't bother with Belly because it hurts their uh, turnaround times, and they just focus on passenger. So we are actually quite relevant for uh, a broad base of customers with prices like of this magnitude. I also want to come come to your point of sustainability, and you said the carbon neutral by 2023 and carbon negative by 2027. Uh, how much of uh, your operational cost would depend also on the fluctuation of the oil market? Yeah, so we actually use gasoline. So the engine we use is made by Rotax. It's a very well-known certified aviation engine. You know, lots of light aircraft have that. So it's a fuel efficient engine to begin with, but with our extremely fuel efficient airframe, the efficiency is even bigger. Um, so much so that, you know, unlike a traditional uh, cargo airline, the fuel the proportion of fuel cost for us is in the single digits of percent. So in other words, uh, fluctuations on the oil market are um, indistinguishable for our cost base. Let me come to another important uh, topic, which is the safety of these unmanned aircraft. That's that's one of the biggest concern. Uh, these are unmanned aircraft and what kind of uh, safety these are being controlled by computer coding and uh, software. What are the precautions that you are taking so that the civil aviation authorities will give you the permission, okay, take off and land? The, the answer lies with civil aviation authorities. Uh, interestingly, I mean, they, it's natural that uh, they've been thinking about those same questions for a very long time, for uh, not just for us, but for any type of drone developer, any flying thing that has the capability to be controlled remotely or to make its own decisions or somehow be automated. So we're just following whatever the, the regulators um, decide. And uh, that's why these new drone rules in Europe are so important because for the first time they, they introduced this risk-based approach uh, where they say, okay, if your type of operations is this, then we need you to meet that kind of a bar. But if you change your operations and they have a different risk profile than the bar changes. And based on that, uh, you know, uh, securing the communications is a, is a big factor uh, and all of that. So uh, it's almost like they've set the bar and you just need to work to, to meet that bar. About your funding that you that you did mention that you're right now working on funding, and I think the kind of uh, scale up that you will see in the coming months, you need that kind of funding now. 
And uh, we also done some projections in terms of 2.1 billion um, in revenue, if uh, something like a DHL or a, that kind of a partnership. How seriously are you looking at? You need a lot of money to uh, to scale up your operation. Uh, uh, what is the scene on the funding? Luckily, there's uh, a lot of interest. There's a lot of money in the market right now. It's a good time to be fundraising. There's been uh, more and more um, interest naturally, but um, you know I can't talk in great detail about, about that. To an increasing number of people, our model makes a lot, a lot of sense. That's what I can say. Approximately, how much would you would you would want to have, uh, or would the funding that you need to raise to have that kind of a scale-up operation by next year end? In, in the words of, uh, in the words of, uh, uh, in the words of Austin Powers, one billion. No, uh, we'll see. It's it's part of the plan. It's part of the ramp up. Um, the manufacturing partnership will play a big role in that. So the exact commercial terms, the the, the ramp up, all of that, we'll have yet to see. But it is it is it is a business that requires a lot more capital than you know than than pure software plays or yeah more asset light uh, businesses. Swilin, if I were to ask you who is your competitor from the other modes of transport and who is your competitor within the cargo drone space, uh, not too many people have seen a fixed wing uh, unmanned aerial vehicle. Uh, who would be some of your competitors? I know it kind of sounds bad, but we don't see almost anyone to be a competitor. Uh, and it's, it, it's simply because we are the only fixed wing drone um, that is uh, specifically targeting Middle Mao, um, and we are not really relevant for for those shorter distances of you know up to 100 or 200 kilometers that vertical takeoff aircraft are actually great at. So what they're good at, we we're bad at, and what we're good at, they're just unable to serve. Um, so uh, yeah, that's, when it comes to other modes of transportation depends on the route, on, on that route. Uh, initially, we're targeting routes where there's no aircraft, uh, there's no air cargo traffic. So we, you know, people's only alternative is truck, but uh, these would be routes where the trucking takes a long, long time, you know, maybe two days or more. Uh, and ultimately, both the, the truckers and the customers would be uh, happy for this to happen in another quicker fashion. But yeah, we're, we're talking about a comparison between Again, air cargo and trucking, where there's, you know, for in most markets, for every kilogram that flies, you have 10,000 kilograms that go by road. So it's quite substantial difference. Uh, Swilind, um, I would want to kind of also uh, take a look at the the entire uh, cargo drone ecosystem. We see a, a tremendous amount of growth that we have seen in the last over the last two years. A lot of money being pumped in by private equity, venture, venture capital funds. We have seen some of very good um, case studies and how things are being quite successful, not only on the fixed wing um, unmanned air, aircraft uh, ring, but on the vertical takeoff and landing uh, varieties. We have seen cow coffees and um, uh, soft drinks being delivered in Ireland and other places. We also seen the, uh, the advanced economies like Japan and the US really embracing these models, what are your thoughts on the cargo drone ecosystem right now? It's uh, the, the, the regulations changing was perhaps the biggest possible technological enabler because technology already existed to an extent, uh, you know, a lot of the capabilities for, you know, in, in a small drone, the, you have these GPS units and the accelerometers and so on. The, 
tiny enough and, and, and light enough and cheap enough due to them being made so by mobile phones. So, um, so, so the technology had already transformed in, in a sense, the components were there. What was missing there was the regulation piece. And that's uh, what's really opened up the market. And we're going to see more and more news um, around the world uh, about that. Uh, and innovators from uh, any country will be uh, going after these markets in cargo and in um, all, all the other uh, potential applications. If you think about it, humans, we are, you know, 99.999% of our lifetime we spend it in two dimensions. There's this third dimension that we're barely exploring. We've only had aviation for 100 years of humanity. So it is exciting times. Um, and um, we need to, of course, everyone needs to make sure that safety is everyone's number one priority. Uh, but uh, technology will, um, will, will get there and will ensure that and we'll get, everyone will be able to get the benefits of that. Yeah, we will get to benefit a lot more from our utilization of the third dimension. Uh, we're personally really happy to take part in that. Uh, but we're also very excited to see what everyone else uh, is working on. You said uh, Dronomics do not really have a competition, but when you look at the cargo drone ecosystem, uh, which are the, com not the companies, which are those uh, cargo drones that you keenly look out for, watch out for? The best way to think about us is like an airline. We are an airline. And an airline may have Airbus planes, they may have a Boeing planes, they may have ATR. Ultimately, that's another reason why we don't, uh, don't perceive um, other companies as competitors is because at some point they could be potential partners, right? Uh, and we see them make a lot of progress and we're very happy about that. It's, uh, you know, on our side, we welcome any great piece of news in this emerging industry because, um, the, you know, the, the benefits again of using the third dimension would be great, but there is a long way to get there. And we alone cannot do it. Everyone else needs to do their part. So to be honest, if you ask me to, for, for some sort of ranking and so on, I, I wouldn't be able to do that because I'm too focused on our own business. But um, yeah, I also believe that uh, if, uh, you know, for a large period of time, we ourselves were ignored, maybe because we were doing this in Eastern Europe, in a country that hasn't built uh, airplanes in 70 years and so on. So I do know that, you know, innovation can come out of any corner uh, of the world. And I've learned not to underestimate anyone. So when I say that we don't have competition, I don't mean it in the fact that I underestimate everyone. On, on the contrary, I just um, believe anyone of them could be very, very successful. It's just that it's such a huge market that it's not a zero sum game. Swillen, it was a pleasure talking to you and I wish you and your team uh, all the best. Thank you. Thank you, Reggie. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. We're looking forward to uh, speaking to you again. That was uh, Swillen Rangelov, co-founder and uh, CEO of uh, Dronamics. Uh. That's it from us at Stat Media Group. We bring cargo masterminds every Monday. Thanks for tuning in and come back on next Monday for a fresh episode. Have a nice day.